0: Right, This morning is a new series. I'm calling it The Journey to Easter. Today we're going to cover all the plots uh, to kill the Prince of Peace, part one. I'm clearly not going to get through them all. I'll explain more as we get going, but I want to share some things that made me ponder this week, and they're kind of heavy um, and deep. And I hope you'll appreciate these, and if you don't like them, that's fine. Um, If one hits you more than anything else, great. Then that was worth coming or worth watching. But these are the 10 things that made me really honestly pause. If your compassion does not include yourself, it is incomplete. I thought, oh man, we can be so compassionate towards others and their problems and their faults and their difficulties and their inconsistencies that we're not compassionate with ourselves and our own inconsistencies. And I needed to hear that this week. It was just kind of hit. I thought... Hopefully somebody else can get some encouragement out of that. Jack, cornfield. That's not a cornfield, that's flowers, but anyway. I just caught that. It takes six to eight pallbearers to lift you up when you're deceased. Imagine what you can accomplish if you had six to eight people lifting you up while you were living. We don't think about that too often. And maybe that's an encouragement to you to value the positive things you hear from a few people that you care about. Maybe we take for granted those who love us. And I see it at funerals all the time. I see those that love the deceased. And it was taken for granted often because you don't think about it until suddenly they're gone. And when they're gone, you go, oh, I wish I would have. So maybe don't forget to verbalize and communicate to those you love. Regularly. Make it normal again. Fred Rogers. The big thing about God is his faithfulness. He never gives up on those he has made in his image. Even when they torture and kill each other. God doesn't give up on them. God continues to try to find us by any means except force. Consistent and reliable God never gives up on us completely that's what history is all about God's unending waiting for us to return to the love that created us whether we realize it or not God is with us always in this life and in the life everlasting Whew. <laughs> Are you forgetting that you're loved? That's a really good one. And this is the one that everybody looked up to for his gentle ministry to children. Yeah. This is funny. I showed this to Brent, Brent showed this to me, and then I, yeah. This is a sign posted at the Valley of Gehenna, which is translated in the English Bible, mistranslated as hell. So some places in our English Bible where it says hell, it really should say Gehenna. But at the real place, which is a green park pasture, by the way, so when people say go to hell, sure, I'm in, I'll go to that hell. That'd be beautiful. It says no fires allowed. (laughs) I thought it was hilarious. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness, Desmond Tutu. I thought maybe we need to hear that too. There are friends of ours, even ourselves, who have gone through darkness or are currently going through darkness or milliseconds and moments of darkness, but that isn't who we are. We have hope, even in the middle of those episodes. You're afraid of surrender because you don't want to lose control, but you never had control. All you had was anxiety. Huh? That's worth thinking about. God is not out there. You are in God, and God is in you. We've been saying that here for a long time. Oh, and I think the scriptures repeat that often. Brendan Manning, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. I thought that was really good. Last one. In Jesus, we see man as he was meant to be. In Jesus, we see God as he truly is. (laughs) Think. Read that again. In Jesus, we see man as he was meant to be. And in Jesus, we see God as he truly is. It's been a busy week, and I had to... Not include another 10. I put into my next week folder, which is kind of getting too big. Oh, I have one. maybe I have one or two more. This one's really, really good from Brian Zahn. The sons of thunder, James and John, wanted to call fire down from heaven on a Samaritan village who refused to welcome Jesus. In their petition, they were able to cite scripture because Elijah had done this. But Jesus rebuked them saying, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. The question isn't can we find it in the Bible, but can we find it in Jesus? If we weaponize the Bible to hurt other people, we do not have the spirit of the Lord. Now, be careful with that last line because I think we all have the spirit of the Lord. It's, we're not living out of the spirit of the Lord. We're living out of the spirit of deception or darkness, okay? just for clarity. That is the last one, yeah. But that last one from Brian Zahn kind of ties in nicely with what we've been learning and unlearning, what we've been expanding our understanding on, on this profound love of God. That he's better than what we've been told. And why we're having trouble reconciling the Old Testament scriptures and stories with this Jesus who claims to be the same as God, and that is an honest, honest wrestling. Devotional. I read this last week, but I want to do the devotional from this. Don't confuse God as the cause of the means by which God saves us. Here's the devotional. This is really, really good. From Brad Jurczak take very careful note. We must not mistake God as the cause of the means by which God saves us. To use a particular example, if a drunk driver hits someone and the harm they cause leads them to rethink their life, God didn't cause the drunkenness, the accident, or the harm. But by grace... The tragic circumstances may be the means by which they turn their life around. Think about it this way. God did not crucify Jesus. We did. Humanity. The crucifixion of the Son of God was a hideous murder and humanity's greatest act of wickedness. And yet, in language reminiscent of my friend C. Baxter Kruger, God entered the abyss of our great darkness and penetrated its depths with redeeming light. I often distinguish the crucifixion, what we did to God, from the cross, what in the midst of crucifixion God in Christ did for us. That's really good. I want to emphasize again that God never causes evil not ever, but as our redeeming or genius Christ transfigures our affliction into the means of His grace for our salvation. Brad Jursak, are the embers? Ooh, you can go back and re-listen, re-watch. But to apply evil and attribute it to God, yeah, but God's ways are higher higher than our ways. Go back and listen to the Still Growing Grace series that I just recently did on the fallacy of attributing evil to God because we kind of talked through, I think it's a three-week series, and a very important discussion, something we normally don't talk about in church. But this is a great summary of that. I thought it was really good. And this ties into this march to Easter, the journey to Easter. And understanding what's been going on. I don't know how far I'm going to get today, but uh, I want to begin with this. Joshua 5, 13 and 14, our Friday morning grounds and grace group. Uh, This came up. Thanks, uh, (laughs) Brett. But it was really good. It made me realize, hang on, this ties in so much to the misunderstanding the disciples and the Jews had about Jesus. Joshua had the same problem. We just never saw it. Once, jo- once when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. That's freaky enough, okay? Just so you know. Joshua went to him and said, what, you went to him? Who does I'd run. Anyway, sorry. Joshua went to him and said to him, are you one of us or one of our advers- uh, adversaries? And he replied, neither. Another translation says, are you for us or against us? Neither. And I think Jesus has the same attitude. He's not for the Jews and against the Gentiles. He's not for the Gentiles and against the Jews. Neither. That suddenly changes how we read. It does for me. And it hit me on Friday morning when Kind of chatting through this one. Oh my goodness. And then when I started to look at the plotting to kill Jesus. <laughs> Again, that's another ponder thing. You can ponder that one. Really think it through because there's a lot going on there. But I think it's important. But with that, let's get into this. All the plots to kill the Prince of Peace. I am stunned when, by looking at how many tries and plots to kill Jesus are in the Gospels. I came across ten clear ones, and there are probably a few more other things. That, but but if you know the sto- if you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the Synoptic Gospels. They cover a lot of the same stories, and yet they're a bit different. They they have Mark will have two stories. That are different, and, and Luke will have one, or vice versa. One will leave something out, and another one will leave it in. One will have two demonic men in the, in the cemetery, the other story will have one. Or, like, it's, it's, there's a mix up, but the Bible plainly says <laughs> Are you starting to get that knocked out of your head? The Bible does not plainly say anything, but the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God plainly says to you, and I think the biggest message you need to hear is he loves you. Not, oh, you're right about your interpretation of that. No. I think after 33 years of pastoring and now realizing I have much more to learn, oh my goodness, I don't have it right. And it doesn't matter if I have it right and the other person has it wrong. I am being tractor-beamed into the light and love of Christ. And I love what I'm learning. And I love the things that are falling off that I thought was attributed to God. And go, oh my goodness, I, I thought that was God. Or I thought I was really right about that. And then I realized I was unloving in my response, which is clearly not God. We all have much to learn. The plots, I'm just amazed. So I want to go through 10 different plots. I'm only going to get through a couple today. But bear with me, I'm going to go through a lot of scripture. I want you to hear some of the stories. I want you to hear the stories that led to Easter. There's a setup here. Have you ever watched CSI or FBI or uh, a mystery series? What are some of the other series that are out there that are like spy, cop, detective, and you're trying to, pardon Law and Order—that's been on for. It's still on. No, I'm kidding. I know it's it's on. It's definitely still going. I I loved Law and Order. What are some other ones that were really kind of cool? Anybody? Well, there's, okay. Let me just say this. Even in the BBC, the British series, they have a lot of detective series, and it's based on all these people. They 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 again. They let you see what you're supposed to see, so you can get it wrong (laughs) even though they left you a small clue maybe sometimes they don't give you a clue to the end and go what and it's it's I love that stuff get sucked in hook line and sinker but what if this is a case being built and let's say I'm a lawyer building a case that hey these guys plotted to take out Jesus and the defense is saying no we didn't and I'm making a case And I'm also making a case for the character of Christ in the face of all this. I jokingly said to Laura yesterday as I was talking, I was a little bit excited about this. Um, And I can't even talk about the part I was excited about because it's for next week because it doesn't fit. It's too long. But anyway, uh, I was excited. What was I excited about again? (laughs) Shoot. ADHD, look, a squirrel. Shoot, that just lost. I just lost it. (laughs) (sighs) the The train will come back around. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta reset my landing. <sighs> Circle the airport. Oh, what was I excited about? TV show. Crime. crime. No. Dollar. Law and order. No. Darn. Yeah. Look, uh, sorry. It just lost me. So once in a while that happens to me. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into this. So the ten things that I think build a strong case, and if you didn't see the pattern, you'd be surprised. Now, here's where my first pattern began, is when I had to go to Bible college, um, they forced you to read the Bible all the way through. Like, good grief. That was hard, and I cheated, because I read the words. I didn't read. I just read the words. I see the words. There. Next page, I see the words. There, I read it. Anybody do that? Okay, good. I wasn't the only one. Yeah. I think, yeah, anyway. But eventually I did. I read the entire Bible through like a novel, and I invite you to try that sometime. Read it like a book. It's much faster, by the way. And you don't stop and pause and go, oh, okay, let's meditate on that. No, read it like a book. You'll be shocked at all the stuff you never knew. You'll be shocked at how things tie together. And then it becomes an exciting book, a historical book. Now, there's one section that's really boring or maybe two in the Old Testament. That's okay. Just go with it. It's hard, but fine, whatever. But the stories come together, and you realize there's some depth here. There's some personality quirks. And I I realized how many times the Jews, the Hebrews, screwed up. And the grace of God was in the Old Testament almost more than the new. Almost. Maybe because it's bigger. It's more instances of it. And I found that with this reading of these different stories to see all the little elements that pointed towards what Jesus was heading towards. And he knew where he was going. So the first story is from Luke chapter 4, 16 to 30. When he came to the village, and I believe this is the first first threat that came. I think if I'm wrong it's fine I'm happy to be corrected by somebody who knows more than I do When he came to the village of Nazareth his boyhood home really important this is hometown He went as usual to the synagogue on the sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written the spirit Of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, paused there. He stopped. They were expecting him to keep going, and he didn't. He pointed to himself in the scriptures. He rolled the scroll up, handed it back to the attendant, sat down, all eyes in the synagogue, looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them, the scripture you've just Heard has been fulfilled this very day. <laughs> if that's not putting it out there, I don't know what is. We're talking to religious, hyper religious people who already had God figured out, had already figured out the Messiah was coming to save them from Romans. Romans. Oh, yes. So who's this person reading a scroll and cherry-picking one text and then to say it's now fulfilled? What? Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Oh, can you imagine going back to your hometown? I've wanted to speak at my old church many times. I thought, oh, to go back and share a message of grace and show what I've learned and grown in. Isn't that a little zanker? Isn't that, wasn't he a brat when he was a kid? Oh, oh, he was annoying. His, oh, he got in trouble so many times. Is this that kid? Seriously? That's what it's like. Being a hometown boy. And Jesus just did that. Not that he did all the stuff that I did. Not at all. But this, isn't this Joseph's son? And then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself, meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. He is calling them out. And then he says this, certainly There were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha. But only one was healed. His name was Naaman, a Syrian. Okay. If he's in his hometown, and he's not doing all those miracles, he's declaring why. Elijah could have helped all the widows during that famine, but he helped one, and not even a Hebrew one. What? I thought there was chosen people, the favored ones. And then leprosy, he heals a Gentile. In fact, one of the oppressors? What? When they heard this, the the people in the synagogue were furious. Oh, they caught exactly what he was saying. There was no reading between the lines. You could say today in our generation, well, he may not have meant that. It was more of a parable no, 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 no. What's about to happen next proves it was not just a parable, and they knew exactly what he meant. And they were livid. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. Bye bye. Flying lessons. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. We hear about mobbings today, even though we think it's something from the past. Oh no, mobbings happen today. We hear it in swarms of teenagers attacking people. We see it in political rallies. We see it at sports events. We see it happens all the time. The power of the mob. Which voices are you listening to, the mob or the spirit? But he passed through the crowd and went on his way. Uh, the way some of the translations read it, something happened. That he just walked, and they just, it was like a sea divided, the Red Sea. And he walked out. Why? I have a hunch, it's a pretty good hunch, his time hadn't yet come. <laughs> he had a lot more to do. But this was a major first trigger. And if those people are ready to kill him, do you think they'll have forgotten? If they're that livid, do you think they forget? We forget the good things people do, but we don't forget the bad things people do. (laughs) And they thought Jesus was being bad, entitled, and claiming equality with God, which is punishable by death. Keep in mind, folks, we read about Muslims, extremist Muslims, who also have been accused of doing the same thing, where people, do uh, they've just blasphemed Muhammad, so they're allowed to put them to death without any trial. Oh, that's terrible. What do you call that? It's the same thing. So be careful of not judging and being fair. Like, If you're going to judge one group, you judge all, and it happens all around the world in all kinds of faiths. In fact, after I'm just about finished reading Brian McLaren's Do I Stay Christian?, I highly recommend it. It will mess you up emotionally. It will, especially the first 10 chapters when you look at the history of the church. It was really hard reading it, but the book is not about calling that out. The book isn't about shaming the church for those horrible things it's done. The book puts it in there to educate you, to show you a bit of your lineage, your history, the stuff we whitewash, the history we cover up. Oh, my God isn't like that. My background isn't like that. My church isn't like that. My denomination isn't like that. Oh, wake up. You want to be woke? That's what woke is. Woke is becoming compassionate to the needs and hurts of someone else. That's what woke is. Woke is not, I know more than you and I have better insight than you on this particular topic. That's baloney and immature. These guys thought they were woke and had the edge on what's going on and wanted to take Jesus out. How'd you like that for your first major reading and getting mobbed in church? (laughs) I got it happened to me once. I won't tell you about it today though. Number two, the second instance of Jesus' life being plotted to take him out. Jesus heals a lame man. We've heard this story before. I preached it a number of weeks ago or months ago, but I'm still gonna read it for you. Again, this is us hearing and seeing the scriptures, the story. From this is the New Living Translation, because it was just easier to read and yeah. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. And suddenly it jumps to verse 5. Why? Verse 4 is left out in many translations. Or they add in a verse 4 that talks about this, this myth This, um, not myth, that's the wrong word. Um, It's a story. uh, um, What do you call those things when there's a a fable or something attached to what could have happened? So there is an allegory of, if if the water began to bubble, it meant an angel had come and swirled, and the first one in the water gets to be healed. That's why they're around the pool. But not every translation, not even the original scripts have that all in there. It's more of a folklore. Here we go. More of a folklore thing. But they believed it. What they didn't know is a deep water thing underneath and it was bubbling up. But anyway, that's okay. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. That's a really long time. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, and who would have told Jesus the man had been ill? Well, he's the son of God. He'd just know it, wouldn't he? No. Remember, Jesus lived out of his humanity. Meaning... God, his father, was constantly talking and teaching him and revealing things to him moment by moment, instant by instant. That's how he knew. That's why when they asked him, when's the return or when's this thing happening? he said, I don't know the day or the hour. He didn't at that time. He does now. But he knew he'd been ill for a long time. He asked him, would you like to get well? I think I just read 38 years Seriously, do you want to get well? This is a very big question. Not everybody who's sick wants to get well. Sometimes there's more benefit in the attention that you get from being ill or having your circumstances because you get a lot of encouragement and attention and fuss over. And that means you don't have to do anything to change your circumstance because now you're married to it. That's your identity now. He's known as the guy, he's been there for 38 years. When your identity is your pain, it's a big red flag. So he asked, do you wanna be well? And the guy doesn't even answer. How can you not answer? He says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. He assumed, uh, he, he didn't listen to the question, but we never do that, do we? We never hear the real question. We just assume and instantly hear and think of an answer for what we thought we heard. Every married couple knows that. Someone else always gets in there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, "Stand up, pick up your mat and walk." What? Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Very bad in Jewish culture. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. And it's true. The letter of the law said you can't even carry your mat. In fact, I believe it's only 100 steps you're allowed to take anyway. 100 on the Sabbath. So you want to talk about loafing around and watching the games all day on the Sabbath? You've got permission if you're a Jew. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. They called carrying the mat work. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that they demanded? The poor guy just got healed 38 years. Wouldn't you be a little bit? I think he's a little excited. He's like, what, what? Something's not computing here. Are you guys nuts? Where's your humanity? Oh, there is none, obviously. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well. So stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Now, this is a very difficult thing to read because depending on your background, you'll instantly jump to an interpretation, which I did immediately. That's why I had to research real quick because I'm like, I can't, it can't mean my old legalistic way. My first reaction, though, without looking it up, was, don't go on sinning or stop sinning. Maybe don't carry your mat and stop walking so you stop sinning for the Jewish law for now, you know, or something's going to happen to you because they're going to mob you because I know about that. No, I, I, but that wasn't really the answer. The, one of the best answers I got was from uh, Francois Dutoy. And he said, um, stop seeing yourself through the false identity. See yourself as you really are. That's what sin is, is missing the mark. Sin means missing the mark, missing God's opinion of you, having an opinion different than God's opinion of you. That's called sin. It's not all these moral infractions we've made them out to be. Those are easy to point at, which the Jews were perfect at because they had all the lists of what not to do. And then churches even today add even more. It's crazy. It's crazy. But he says, stop sinning so something even worse may happen to you. You know how bad things can get when you do not believe you are right with God. And the downward spirals and the darkness you can enter into when you believe the wrong thing. Jesus knew all this. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. Oh, isn't that sweet? The one, (laughs) it's it's funny. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. You see, we, if, we don't, if we haven't learned some history here, we would think that Jesus got betrayed by a kiss, and, you know, he was a political target and that's why he died no it was worse much worse the first story of him declaring the scripture of isaiah that he was the one now claiming equality with god and his following was growing you're starting to see the threat now if if the Messiah is supposed to come and save us from the Romans, this guy is an interruption and we gotta get rid of him because there isn't gonna be a room for the Messiah when the Messiah comes. Huh. Oh, shoot. Okay, can't do that one. Take him to the last slide, like the uh, end picture one. There's eight more. Little snapshots. And... In each one, there are humans there who needed good news. And Jesus gave good news. He went to that man who needed healing and healed him. Who cares what day it was? He'd been in hell for 38 years. And later on, another question came up. So why does this man, what is, who sinned, his parents or him, that he was, you know, lame? It sounds like a funny question, but it isn't, because we call that karma. In the Christian world, we say it's, Jesus is going to make sure you pay. And Jesus said, no, neither. Neither. Quit blaming. You want somebody to blame, something to blame. But in this circumstance, just like Brad Jurzak's thingy, God didn't make it happen, but he used it for his glory. We have this magnetic pull to want to attribute good and evil to something. God is good. If it doesn't look good, it's not God. Everything else is a distortion. There's a hope-filled perspective on this. And I hope that as we finish these eight other stories you're going to see a pattern of, wow. Now you're starting to see the plot. That was just two cases, judge. Um, We'll recess for now and come back and I'll do the other eight. (laughs) But this this is what's going on. And I hope that this is going to come alive for you. And you'll start to see the scriptures in a new light and read them. So again, go read through the gospels. That's really quick to do, by the way. You can have a couple days, you'll be done. Just read like a novel. And you'll be stunned at what you're drawn to and what excites you. Go, I never knew that. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh my goodness, really that happened? Now I see the pattern. All this stuff can happen. And read it from multiple translations or read it from a translation that's easy to read. Don't read it from a um, literal translation. It's going to be impossible to figure it out. Go for something that's already been adapted and and translated into a readable format. I will give you suggestions later. If you've never read the First Nations version, go for that too. That was a really, really, really good one. That won't be as quick though, because you'll be too, you'll breathe the stories more than you ever thought. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wake us up to your love in us and in others. Show us where we have misunderstood and cause us to repent, meaning change our minds about who you are and how you interact with us. Remind us that you are good, and that Jesus is the full representation of who you really are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm gonna read, Sandy Prince wrote John 15, 14 from the Mirror Translation. Then a little later, Jesus found him in the synagogue and said, see, you have become whole. Do not continue in your old distorted mindset. Then nothing worse can happen to you. Thanks, Sandy, because that's what I, exactly what I read. And it's like, ah, oh, I can't remember it exactly. Oh, so well, thank you that's another way to see it. There are more hope-filled perspectives in all of the texts that you've read. If you're not certain, you can't understand it, it's fine. Put on the back burner and let the Holy Spirit bring it to the front when the time comes. You don't have to get it right now. You don't have to go over-searching, but there are answers.